Welcome to The Mortgage Voice with Jeff Barton, your voice in the mortgage industry. Each week on this program, Jeff and his guests share their expertise, personal anecdotes, and the latest industry news to keep you in the loop. Now to provide you with insight and help you navigate the consistently changing world of real estate lending, here is your host for The Mortgage Voice, Jeff Barton. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Jeff Barton, your voice in the mortgage industry. Thanks very much for tuning in to the show this week. And we've got a great lineup for you. A bunch of guests going to come on and talk to you about how you can either figure out a better way to live, a uh, different kind of mortgage, maybe some uh, examples of what's happening in the marketplace now. And um, we'll try to get to all these people sooner than later. However, first up is uh, we're going to talk some about what's going on in the mortgage mortgage market uh, rates and real estate prices as well. Uh, Wanting to get right to it. We have a 30-year fixed rate, and this is an average, by the way. Don't quote me on these rates. Uh, again, I work for a company, Jeff Barton, Malibu Funding, uh, 79620. That's the NMLS number. But these are averages that we take off the Mortgage uh, Mortgage News Daily website. And if you go there, you can also see what they do. Every day they come up with what's happening on, as an average in the mortgage market at the time they print out these particular figures. 3.15 is the 30-year fixed. 2.52 is the 15. 2.75 is FHA. 3.12 is the jumbo. And 2.75 is the 7-1 arm. Arm products are still pretty hot. They're good. Although mortgage volume, this is one of the things I wanted to talk about. The mortgage applications fell last week 6.9%, 7%. Now that may not seem like a lot, but as I said last week or the week before, what we're going to have uh, we've had a $4.5 trillion mortgage market over the last 18 months, which is unbelievable. Even during the high times of uh, 2004, 5, and 6, we were only getting to $3, $3.5 trillion. We've topped that by a trillion dollars. And again, when we talk about numbers, understand the – it's just unbelievable how we've gone in my lifetime – when the stock market was trading at 800, okay? Now, I'm 66. So let's say I started to pay attention when I was, I don't know, 16. So at 800 when I was 16, we talk all those years later, 50 years later, and we're talking in terms of uh, the stock market being at, I don't know, what is it at, 35,000? I mean, it's just... Yeah, 34, 35. Yeah, it's just insane and incredible. Uh, and the numbers that we talk about in terms of dollar figures... You know, hundreds were a lot, thousands were something. Certainly a million dollars was the gold standard if you wanted to, you know, retire for the rest of your life now. If you're thinking about retiring with a million bucks, forget about it. You just can't do it. You need you need somewhat well, first of all, you need a job, you need a good paying job, you need some kind of long term plan, and you also need a way by which you can grow money. A lot of people do it through real estate. It's a good way to buy, hold, sell later. Yes, that's an excellent way. Or rent out, although renting itself has become a nightmare in many states whereby the renters have more rights than you do. We went through it last week about what we were trying to do with the uh, foreclosure moratorium, but it's turned into something that really has hurt the small-time investor who bought a house in order to get residual income and rental during their retirement years. Renters stopped paying. Now they are on the hook for the mortgage and they're draining their savings. Not a good time to be in the uh, ownership business for single-family residents. But that being what it is, let's get back to where we were. Okay, so uh, when we're talking about these numbers, trillions of dollars today, trillions of dollars, that's a huge number. But $4.5 trillion in the mortgage market in what we have seen in 2020 and probably 2021. Next year, it's going to shrink. It's going to shrink by at least a trillion, if not a trillion and a half dollars, which, again, may not seem... Um, even realistic, but it's such a huge number that we're going to have not only applications fall, but we're going to have a lot of mortgage companies implode. We're going to have uh, probably some consolidation in the marketplace. Uh, currently, we have uh, three, four, five different companies who went public this year. Uh, let's see, it was a loan, not Loan Stream. Well, maybe it was Loan Stream. It was certainly United Wholesale. It was certainly Rocket Mortgage. They all went public. They all went to the public uh, markets in order to. Uh, use the what their terrific balance sheets look like in order to extract, uh, I guess, most of the money they extracted they're going to use towards either expansion or product development. Um, so given that what it is, 
you can see that if we have an, uh, an not an implosion, but certainly a downturn in the market, uh, that we're going to see a lot of this happening. And does that benefit you? No, it doesn't, because at the same time, and the reason that we have these kind of uh, falling numbers in the mortgage application and what I predict next year to be even more accelerated is because rates have gone up. Now, why do they go up? Because they're, they're bound to go up at some point. I mean, five years I've been saying rates are going to go up and they keep falling. Well, this year and... Um, not this year, but the, the end of this year, what we're going to see is the Fed is going to uh, begin to taper. We all know what the taper is, right? They stop buying mortgage-backed securities at the rate they are. They stop buying treasuries at the rate they are. So instead of $120 billion a month, maybe they get down to 110 And then uh, three, four months later, they go down to 75 And what that does is puts pressure, because right now what we've had in the marketplace is an artificial of keep artificial way by which we've kept the mortgage mortgage rates down because the Fed has come in and, and put on their balance sheet this incredible number on an everyday basis, every month basis, and that's artificially held the mortgage rates down. So what do we look to when that stops? Now, we've been talking about it so that you should be educated as to what to look for. Obviously, the 10-year yield. Uh, one of the things about the 10-year is that we've seen an increase in the yield over the past week to 10 days. Lots of reasons for that. Certainly uh, nothing short of what's going on in China with the two different companies um, not being able to pay their debt load. Uh, obviously, we talked about what was the name of the first one. Of course, I, I have it right here in front of me, and I've, and I've lost it. Oh, okay. Let's see. What is it? It is, uh, let's see. Do you have it on your top of your head, Daryl? No, not really. No, not really. Okay, fine. I'm on my own. It's just like at home. I'm always on my own. We could talk amongst ourselves. Really. <laughs> no, no, that's quite all right. Anyway, the, the, the two US companies, uh, two biggest real estate companies, private real estate companies who are either developing real estate for uh, residential mortgages, I mean residential uh, living, or in the commercial area, have defaulted on a number of loans. Um, Green Belt, I think, is the first one. Uh, that, that particular company has gone uh, by the way of saying, okay, we are going to go private. We're going to buy back all our stock and go private. That is a way to do it, in which case it doesn't affect the public markets. The second one, which just came out a couple of days ago, um, they're not in that same. They just defaulted on a $200 billion debt. Now, are we going the way they're going in terms of what happens? As we all know, uh, being in a capitalist society, we have to bear the brunt, usually the taxpayers. In communist China, they, the government, uh, I don't know what they're doing. They're either punting or, but whatever they are doing, it's hurting their economy. And that's more of a threat to international security than anything because we all know when the economy goes bad, countries who are in trouble politically look outside their company to, country to solve the problem, i.e. get in a war. That's why we see saber rattling against Taiwan or uh, uh, over in China. Uh, here in the United States uh, because, you know, even during the 08 crisis, uh, we heard rumblings of different things happening internationally, but because the government did step in, the Fed stepped in, and we were able to stave off any kind of major, major, major depression, we did have the biggest recession that we've had in, you know, 50, 60 years, but at the same time, uh, we did stave it off and we did climb out of that particular mess. Um, let's see. A couple other things here that I wanted to get to in the first segment. Uh, let's see. UWM, private label MBS market. Okay, so <clears throat> one of the things about trying to get back to a more regular footing for the mortgage market is to bring the private markets back into play more. Prior to the mortgage meltdown and then subsequent to that, uh, after taper three or uh, what they called um, quantitative easing three went away, uh, we had some privatization it wasn't all going to Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae. It wasn't all going to Ginnie Mae. There were some privatizations, i.e., if you have non-QM market, non-QM is anything beyond, you know, uh, the, the, the normal 30-year fixed-rate mortgages. Uh, non-QM market itself, they have to do something with that paper. So they did and have been um, putting together loan pools and securitizing that by selling bonds on those mortgage pools on Wall Street. So what United Wholesale has done, they're the largest... Um, them and Rocket, of course, are the largest uh, mortgage companies in the U.S., and they're looking to take the mortgages that they fund and create their own securitization, not going and selling the, the, uh, the paper to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Now, why is that important? 
because they're going to have to start, because we've said it already, mortgage applications are falling. They just went public. They have to justify why they are, you know, getting a stock price that they are. So what they end up doing is looking at private securitization as a way by which to go outside the bounds of Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae in order to fund loans, which I believe they will do. That's why that particular segment of the market is growing. Talk about it in the next segment. I'm Jeff Barton, your voice in the mortgage industry. I think I got in 450,000 words. And thank you very much for listening. Bye. You're listening to The Mortgage Voice with Jeff Barton. We'll be right back with more in just a moment. For more information on today's topic, email Jeff Barton at info at malibufunding.net. Now, back to The Mortgage Voice with your host, Jeff Barton. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Jeff Barton, your voice in the mortgage industry. Thanks very much for tuning in, tuning in to the show to hear what we have to say about what's going on both in the mortgage market and the real estate market. A lot of things to consider when you're buying a house or when you're looking to rent or uh, energy costs are the probably one of the biggest um, expenses in your household. When you're going to buy a, a home, a lot of a lot of people don't really understand what they have to do in order to pay. Either it's oil or it's uh, some kind of electricity, it's nuclear, it's wind, it's solar. Uh, here to kind of sort that all out for us, and he's been on the show before, and I really appreciate it, is Zach Harmon. He's a, uh, he is the CEO and owner of Capital Energy, and he has worked in the industry for many years. Zach, how are you? I'm good. I'm good, Jeff. Thanks for having me back. Thank you very much. Okay, first explain uh, what it is that you are doing uh, since the last time we talked, and uh, where it is that you currently are. And uh, yeah, absolutely. So um, right now I'm in South America, where we have I have a solar development company here, and um, it contributes to my other company in the United States, and so I'm here. Um, building out some new improvements, doing some more staffing, and uh, visiting my girlfriend, and and then managing and supporting my company in the States. Uh, currently here in Colombia, we're in Medellin. Right, right. I know I know the area from uh, back in the day when it used to be on the news quite a bit, but I'm sure the area has um, <laughs> a lot of opportunity, especially in the solar area. Tell me, what is the biggest issue for home residential solar uh is it battery is it um just conversion what is it um that's a good question i think that i think that people are kind of stuck in their ways from my experience and you know we visit uh between five and ten homes a day my company and to talk to people about solar and you know and try to get them signed up so that they can see you know just how beneficial and how how what a no-brainer it is to do so. So I I think that that's the biggest uh, hurdle in the industry right now because I mean if everybody saw the benefit in it and everybody pulled the trigger on solar, then there there'd be no electric companies, there'd be no rising rates, there'd be no you know inflation wouldn't be a thing as far as your energy. Well, let's talk about the grid. I don't know, uh, down in South America, if you deal with uh, governments in terms of supplying energy to them, or is it a house-by-house thing? But the grid themselves needs obvious upgrades, and I think in the Biden administration, they're trying to do some of that in the um, infrastructure bill. But what do you see as, as the biggest impediment to getting government behind helping homeowners afford or pay for this? That's a great question. I I think that um, you know I I think that there are some great government funded programs or even local as far as the state government and even city or county um, legislate legislator that that gives incentives to homeowners like cash rebates uh, in addition to the federal tax credit. So I think that it does. Like, it, like in Texas, there's a utility company that's getting their funding by the state. And, you know, in Texas, they just had a massive um, issue this year in February due to the deep freeze when, you know, uh, tons of people were left without power. Right, right. So I think that some of those things... But, yeah, I mean, the, the, the grid does need to be upgraded. It's going to come eventually. Uh, you know, you see more Teslas nowadays on the road. Right. More electric vehicles. So we're consuming more power. Right. And, and I think it's the, the power lines are pretty old. Yeah, I agree with that. I think uh, um, 
Transporting electricity is also very wasteful. What are the ways by which when you install your home system in order to maintain, um, to keep that solar energy, do you recommend people get uh, either the Tesla battery, the wall, or some other um, way by which they can store their own power rather than just feeding it into the grid, or how do you recommend? You know, honestly, personally, myself, I, I tell people to stay away from it. Um, at, the, at the moment, lithium-ion is very expensive. Uh, give it two, three, four, five more years, and it may be more affordable, but I think right now it's only a luxury. So if you do live in places like uh, like in Texas, like I just discussed, or if you live in California, uh, you know, PG&E's had some blackouts. Right. I, think it's, I just think it's more of a luxury right now. It's very pricey. Okay, tell us a little about your international work. Do you have plants down there installing uh, solar, or are you working uh, in, a, in a different capacity with uh, energy? So we're, I'm, I have two, like I have a call center here that does a lot of our telemarketing and, some, and then um, some of our operations for things in the States. You know, they're scheduling appointments with people yep. to get them interested in solar. And but we're also looking to start installing in Colombia here where we can, and also in Costa Rica. So I'm trying to take things international. Yeah, I I think that there's such a call for uh, a decoupling of uh, nations' energies, whether it's here in the states or down there in Colombia or wherever, from oil-based or carbon-based to try to get some uh, uh, help in. Uh, the climate situation, what is it like there in terms of resistance to that? Is there any resistance to that, or is, how, how is it working there as opposed to here? Well, down here, for example, in, in Medellin, where I am at, they're trying to be the green city of Colombia. I see. And so you're going to see more support for it here. Um, I think the, 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 the obstacles here are way larger than in the States because um, you do have a lot of corruption in the government here, um, and some other obstacles as far as, you know, a lot of the houses here um, are not really primed for solar on right. the roof. You know, their roof, their roof types don't really fit it, so it's for a select amount. But there's other ways of doing that. You know, you can go large scale and put up, put up solar, a uh, big solar pe- uh, plant right. that sell energy. Uh, locally here, like in a, distri- a distributed way. You know, you've probably driven the 15 from Los Angeles out to uh, Las Vegas, Nevada, and there's that huge solar farm. I'm sure they're all over. Are there other opportunities, uh, not only large scale, but even on smaller scale, rather than putting solar panels on the roof, do you put them on the ground? Can you put them in other uh, uh, accessible areas to be able to be used to generate power? Yeah, so... Um for, like, for example, my, my father actually invested in a uh, 500 kil- kilowatt system in Vermont, where he lives. That's where our hometown is. Uh-huh. And he sells power to um, to a big company that owns a bunch of... It's a big housing company. They, they have a lot of properties, rentals, things like that. Um, and it's, it's definitely... You're definitely going to start to see, like, for example, in Colorado, there's tons of um, electric co-ops. Uh-huh. So people can get together, investors can get together and and build giant solar farms and then have a, you know, a co-op where they're now, you can offer that as an option to somebody instead of paying their local electric company. No, I, I like that idea a lot. And, and can you tell me why when uh, a solar um, advisor comes to your house to look and see what it is you need, that they always try to have the exact number of panels that you need as opposed to having extra panels so maybe you can sell some of the excess power to the power company in your area? Well, well uh, a lot of electric companies don't allow that. In I Colorado, see. which is where we do a lot of business, they, they allow you to go to 120% offset. I see. So you can put 20% more. Uh, you can put panels on your house that produce 20% more of what you currently use. You can do the same in California. Um, but a, a most like in Vegas, you can't do that. In Nevada, you can't do that. Right. So, so this is all local, um, local ordinances or laws per se that prevent or help. Right. This is not a national based system. 
Yeah, it's, well, the, natural, it's just the tax credit that is incentivizing it and keeping it affordable. Right. Um, locally, if you're lucky enough to be in an area where, like, your utility company or maybe even your local contractor is going to provide a cash rebate, something to help you make a good decision. But right now, it's, it is incredibly affordable. And um, whether you finance it, which is what most people are doing, just taking out a and typically people take out a 20-year solar finance and just replace their monthly electric bill with a solar bill that's right around what they spend anyway. Right, right. You know? Hey, Zach, we're up against it. You want to tell people how they can get a hold of you, especially if they're interested in solar? Yeah, you can get a hold of me at my phone number, um, my company phone, and then you can, if you can text or you can uh, call, leave a message if nobody gets back to you right away, but... Um, that's 702-670-0525, or you can email me at Zach at thecapitalenergy.com. So Z-A-K at thecapital, T-H-E-C-A-P-I-T-A-L-E-N-E-R-G-Y.com. Excellent. Hey, thanks very much for the update on solar. Really appreciate it. I love the industry, and obviously, um, you know, uh, more of it is better, in my opinion. So thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, thank you very much. And have a <laughs> and take it easy down there in Medellin. Yeah, we're staying safe. Yeah, you too. Thank you. I'm Jeff Barton, your voice in the mortgage industry. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Mortgage Voice with Jeff Barton. We'll be right back with more in just a moment. For more information on today's topic, email Jeff Barton at info at malibufunding.net. Now, back to The Mortgage Voice with your host, Jeff Barton. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Jeff Barton, your voice in the mortgage industry. Thanks very much for tuning in to the show. Thanks very much for listening. Each and every week, we try to bring to you information that can help you either in your purchase or your refinance or just talking about real estate in general. Maybe you want to buy something for long-term security, get some residual income. Maybe you're just looking at selling something. There's all kinds of ways by which this show can help you. We bring guests on the show that know way more than I do. Uh, Although I've been in the business probably 25, 30 years, and I've seen a lot of different ways by which people make mistakes or people are successful so we try to share as i say that with you we're on a number of different podcasts we're on five radio stations in three different states uh if you want to go to youtube and see the show you can do that uh jeff barton the mortgage voice uh jeff at jeff 6493 that's my twitter handle man we just got a bunch of stuff going on we have a one minute linkedin show as we do once twice three times a week Anyway, let's get to our next guest, which I'm really happy he came on to the show today. I know how busy he is down there. It's uh, Tyler Sink from uh, Burcadia Commercial in San Diego. Tyler, how are you? Hey, Jeff. I'm doing excellent. How about yourself? I'm okay. Thank you. I tried to get in 2,000 words before I spoke to you, so I hope I met my quota. (laughs) (laughs) Good to be. Yeah, excellent. All right. Give us an overview of what's happening commercially down in um, San Diego. Have we seen a drop-off in commercial occupancy? Where are the rates? Uh, Do we see building going on? What's going on? Sure. So I focus specifically on multifamily. Multifamily stuff? Yep. California. Okay. And, uh, you know, the multifamily market down here, much like the rest of the country, uh, has been on fire for the last year and a half, basically since COVID. Uh, it seems like the rental market has just taken off. Um, kind of left a lot of people scratching their heads as to how you can have such a strong rental market, you know, in the light of this global pandemic. But uh, I think partially it's been the low interest rates that have really fueled uh, the market on the investment side. Um, the abundance of capital out there that's yep. chasing uh, yield, which historically multifamily has been a very safe, and dependable investment class. What's your cap rate um, down there, average-wise? You know, cap rates now in Southern California are between 3 and 4% right. for most investment properties. Okay. Okay. Thanks. I'm sorry. So, so, Did, so cap rates are lower than they've ever been, which right. is great if you own property. It's a great time to sell property. Um, and rents have been going up. Uh, I think in San Diego County this year, we had rents increase over 10%, which is the highest year that we've seen probably in the last decade. So, again, it's a little bit of a weird phenomenon. You have this global pandemic. You have a lot of people unemployed, yet you have rents going up faster than they've ever gone up. You have more investment appetite for the multifamily asset class. And uh, and we're seeing a whole new influx of buyers from regional to local, 
to national and international buyers that want to get into San Diego and uh, and buy multifamily. Interesting. Very interesting. So you're seeing an influx of out-of-town people coming in. I mean, San Diego for the longest time was the was was a great city. It, it had a little sleepy quality to it because it was more local. But uh, with the advent of what went on downtown with the renovations and certainly the new ballpark, all that kind of stuff, uh, maybe that, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir, I'm sure. Yeah, you know, it's all that. And I think it's a lot of people, too, that have been investing historically in other markets like Phoenix, Arizona, Tucson, Arizona, Las Vegas, uh, and other parts of the country. And now cap rates are actually more or less the same in some of these secondary and tertiary markets. Uh-huh. So what you're, we're finding now is that a lot of the investors that we're buying in these other markets are now, now coming back to California because the yields on the investments are the same here as they are in these secondary and tertiary markets. And people say, well, if I'm buying a three-and-a-half cap, for example, in Phoenix, and I can buy a three-and-a-half cap in you know Southern California by the beach, I'd rather buy Southern California by the beach for the same return as I'm buying in some of these other markets. Interesting. We've heard so much about the um, uh, locals leaving, going to Texas, going to Arizona. Uh, to see a reverse of that would be something that would, I don't know if it would be welcome or not, but uh, to hear you say that is very, very interesting on an investment side. Yeah, and this is all investment capital. So right. the markets have obviously been extremely hot because a lot of Californians have left to go to these other markets. Right. But what they're finding now is San Diego in particular has actually attracted people from other parts of the state. So whether it's the Bay Area, Los Angeles, Orange County, or other parts of the country, people want to come work in San Diego if they can work remote. We've got yep. some of the best weather year-round. It's a great climate. It's a great quality of life. So if you have remote workers that want to live in anywhere in the country that they can, San Diego seems to be kind of at the top of their list as far as places they'd like to work. And because of that, that's really driving a lot of these rents that continue to increase. Because you now have people that actually have high-paying jobs in these yep. other markets that are working remote and living in San Diego, and they're able to pay more in rent. Therefore, these investments are more creative, and now investors in other markets are starting to find, well, I'd rather be in Southern California because they just don't make real estate like they do right. here anymore. You know, yeah. Obviously, San Diego is very supply-constrained because of the border, yep. the Pacific Ocean, the mountain range, and Camp Pendleton to the north. So it's a very... Uh, kind of supply-constrained market, which has a really good demographic for investing in multifamily. Excellent. Give us a price range of what you're looking at, especially if you're looking at a, you know, I don't know what multifamily really means. Is that five units up to 100 units? What are you, what are you talking both as unit size as well as uh, price? Yeah, so it's basically five units uh, would be the minimum up to four, five, six hundred unit projects. Right. Okay. Uh, our group, our group down here typically focuses on a hundred plus unit uh, multifamily projects, um, and we do a lot of business in San Diego County, in Riverside County, San Bernardino County. Uh, we partner with some of our other offices in the, in the Southwest, like Las Vegas and right. Phoenix, Arizona, for example. Um, so we cover a lot of ground. Okay, and so uh, you didn't hit a price point. What, so what what are you looking at? I guess the price is all over the map, but I don't know. So tell me where it is that you would, you know, suggest that uh, these prices are or where they're heading. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'll just break it down by asset class. So okay. For a, a B or C class multifamily apartment building in San Diego, you're probably somewhere in the two hundred twenty-five thousand door a door range to three hundred thousand a door range. Okay. As you start moving up the uh, the spectrum, as you get closer to B plus to A A minus property, you're somewhere between three hundred fifty thousand and five hundred thousand a unit. Mm-hmm. And then as you get into the really core property, uh, A A plus class uh, buildings, you're probably somewhere north of five hundred thousand a unit uh, to as high as as almost seven hundred thousand a unit uh, for an A A plus located A plus A plus uh, class property. And the rents on that, just give me an idea, because I think a lot of people are trying to calculate as they're listening to the show. So in order to satisfy the mortgage, or at least to break even, what would you have to charge on rents on, on buildings like this at 500000 north? You know, you're probably at 4 bucks a foot. Right. Um, so right. call it for a one-bedroom, you're somewhere in the low to mid $3,000 a month range. Right. For a two-bedroom, you're somewhere in the probably mid to high 4000 in the month range, and then if there's any three beds or penthouse units, you know, you're definitely north of 5000 a month. 
Yeah, and as you said, because people are moving to San Diego, working remote, this is a number that doesn't scare anybody. Whereas, whereas 10 years ago, there'd be no way you'd get these numbers. Oh, even two or three years ago, right. you wouldn't get you know anywhere close to this number. But I think, again, it's the low interest rates that are fueling this. It's the abundance of capital that seems to be out there. It's all the money printing that we've seen in the last 18 months uh, in light of COVID. Um, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's really quite a uh, interesting phenomenon how the multifamily market has done so well. Another thing, too, Jeff, that I should point out is a lot of the investors that historically bought office property, retail, uh, shopping centers, and hotels, are a lot of those guys now are starting to look at multifamily and industrial since they've performed the best throughout COVID. Right. Um, so we're starting to see a lot of those investors that historically bought other asset types that are now coming over to multifamily and industrial properties. Huh. Interesting. Listen, we got about a minute left. You know what's going on in China? The default on the debt for a couple of large real estate firms, especially builders, commercial as well as residential. You see that making the uh, uh, the swim to the U.S.? You see any of that issue, problems here? You know, it was talked about a lot for about a week, and I haven't heard much of it since. So um, I definitely think it's something to keep an eye on. But right. I, I think judging by where the stock market was, today, it seems like the market's kind of overlooked it, and we're, we're forging ahead. So Okay. For better or worse, we'll see what happens. Well, <laughs> exactly. Hey, I really appreciate you coming on, Tyler. You know, um, the information you give is, is priceless. Uh, people need to get a hold of you. How do they do that? Yeah, so uh, the best way to reach me is uh, probably just go to the Percadia website. We're in the La Jolla office down here in San Diego, um, and we do anything multifamily related, refinances, purchases, uh, sales, Anything multifamily-related in Southern California, uh, we're here to help. Excellent. That's Burcadia.com, is that right? Correct. Okay, excellent. Tyler, thanks very much for coming on the show once again. Uh, appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Jeff. Thank you very much. That's Tyler Sink from Burcadia. I'm Jeff Barton, your voice in the mortgage industry. We'll see you. Um, we'll be right back. You're listening to The Mortgage Voice with Jeff Barton. We'll be right back with more in just a moment. For more information on today's topic, email Jeff Barton at info at malibufunding.net. Now, back to The Mortgage Voice with your host, Jeff Barton. Welcome back, everybody. I am Jeff Barton, your voice in the mortgage industry. Thanks very much for tuning into the show. Each and every week, we bring to you all kinds of information, buying, selling, um, maybe you want to refinance, take money out, buy something else. Uh, real estate market is hot, although it is uh, cooling somewhat. Uh, we see applications for mortgages, especially in the refi area, uh, declining, uh, although we do see purchases still, like uh, I said, pretty hot. So in order to figure this all out, I can't do it because I'm not everywhere. But people who come to the show can figure it out, do figure it out, and can give us the information we need to help you in terms of deciding whether it's time for you to buy out there in the marketplace. Now, today with us once again is uh, from Menifee is uh, Tracy Madden, uh, Menifee, California. I really appreciate her coming on. Tracy, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you doing today? I'm great, thank you. And Tracy works for EXP Realty, and it's one of these places um, down in Southern California. In, uh, is it fairly rural in your area? Tracy, or is it mostly urban? You know, I guess it's still considered pretty rural out here. Right. Uh, growing at a really rapid rate, though. So, um, you know, we're getting a lot more stores. We've got a big outdoor mall that's opening up and wow. more shops that are being brought in. Wow, really? So, retail? Yeah. We're, I'm sorry? I said you have retail opening. That's amazing in this climate. We do. We have a lot of development, not just retail. Um, we've got a lot of new home builds going on because this was kind of a rural area. Right. But it's smack dab in the middle of L.A. and San Diego, kind of, you know, right. along the 15 and just off the 215 freeway. So um, there was a lot of room for growth, and that's what we're seeing now is a huge explosion of that. Wow. Are you seeing large track homes or infill? A little bit of both, actually. Uh -huh. um, right. We've got the you know the big names like Dr. Horton coming in and building, you know, the the bigger track homes, and then my company in particular is representing a smaller developer who is coming in and doing 
14 custom luxury homes. Nice. So we're literally getting a little bit of everything out here. Interesting. Price ranges. Give me an idea of what luxury homes cost down in your area. So these particular homes come on half-acre lots with these nice. pools. Nice. Pull through oversized RV garages, and they start at eight ninety nine. I see. Well, that's pretty good price for that area. I mean, several years ago, you wouldn't have dreamt about that kind of price. Is this more standard now? I guess with real estate the way it is. Yeah, you know, for for a while there, we were hovering in the mid threes, but right. you'd be lucky to find a single family home. Um, you know, even in a track home, you're looking in high fours, fives. For your standard, you know, three, four-bedroom home. Wow. So prices are the highest I've ever seen them. Right. Sustainability, what do you think that is? Is and, and we always think about that in real estate, right? We don't want to see a bust-boom cycle. We hate that. Uh, we'd like to see steady, slow growth uh, whereby people are, you know, getting equity into their house. How do you think, in terms of sustainability, your area is going to fare? I think given the supply and demand issue that we're seeing kind of everywhere. Right. I think the market's going to be strong for a while yet. I think there's still some room for growth. However, you know, the summer was like a frenzy. I've never seen anything like it. 30-plus offers, you know, $100,000 over asking, uh, waived appraisals. That was the summertime. I mean, it was insane. And while we've slowed down a little bit and it's becoming more manageable, it's still a strong seller's market. So I think for sustainability, it's, it's going to be a strong market for a while. It, and I think that these homes are going to continue to increase in value because there's simply not enough homes for the amount of buyers that are looking. Oh, it's just such an interesting market. Do you think people, if they're looking to purchase in your area, are looking for lot size more than they're looking for what type of house it is? Um I'm seeing more and more people that are looking for the multi-generational homes or, yes, homes with large lots, homes with pools, homes where they can have their big extended families come and stay together. So I am seeing an uptick in that um, for sure. And then I've recently gotten more into the development side of it. Okay. And I am seeing a lot of people that are willing to venture out further you know, into the more rural areas. That way they can have land, they can build their own homes because a lot of people are able to work from home now. So I've seen a lot of that as well. Now, uh, you're talking development. Okay, so if you wanted to, let's say you're just, I'm I'm Jeff and I'm coming down to your area and I want to buy a house. What do I look for when I'm looking for development uh, development property? You know, something that doesn't have anything on it. It's kind of raw land. What, what are you telling people that they need to look for or else the cost might get out of hand? Um, You want to look for something that is still slightly rural but in the path of growth because you don't want to spend more than 25% on the land of what your value is going to be after you build on it. Okay. So we've got places like Winchester, which is just outside of Menifee, that we're starting to see a tremendous amount of growth because traditionally it it was really rural. There was nothing out there. And now... As it's being built up, you can see these lots just going down the street being purchased. And as one lot gets built up, well, now the next lot's going to get purchased. The the farmland is becoming smaller and smaller. There was a lot of that out there. Now the farmers are selling it off, and we're seeing the developers come in and throw houses up pretty quickly. I've been pretty impressed with how they're coming along. And I'm curious to see, once they're all built and put up for sale, if that's going to have an impact on the rising prices or not. Okay, so Hopefully we'll see it steady it out a little bit. Yeah, I obviously would like to see a little bit more uh, or a little less in terms of price appreciation just so that the affordability doesn't get so out of whack that you know it, it now is exceeding what, what it is in a lot of California, which is over a million dollars for just a single-family home. I mean, a starter home right. is like eight 900000 right. I mean, come on. Yeah, absolutely. So hopefully we'll see a little bit of a balance coming here. You know, we've also, we want to keep an eye out on the REO properties and all the, you know, all the people that were affected by the moratorium. You know, I want to see if there's going to be a flood of that. I hear a lot of realtors say that, you know, REOs are coming, we're going to be flooded, you know, it's going to bring the market down. 
but then you hear a lot of people saying, well, you know, interest rates are going to start creeping up, and as that happens, prices are going to come down. So it'll be interesting to see what happens over the next year. It's interesting that realtors there are talking about a flood of properties. Um, I don't know where the, whether back in 08, 09, 10, when there was that particular mortgage and Great Recession, whether whether you saw it at that time, because there were way more many houses at that time in foreclosure than today, and I didn't see many around my area. What about you? No, there's not a ton in our area yet. Mm-hmm. So that's why it remains to be seen. And my yeah. personal opinion is that even if we do get hit with some REOs, you know, now that the moratorium has been lifted, yep. I still don't think it's going to be enough. To put a dent, I mean, it's been over the last 10 years, the amount of homes that have been, that were being built dropped dramatically, yep. so now it's kind of caught up to us. Now we just have this severe shortage, and I don't know that REOs will put a dent in it. We just need to see a lot more new builds. I, I agree, and that's a great analysis. I totally agree with what you just said. The, the thing I, I think about, obviously, is I'm in the boomer generation. You may be in the millennial generation. We see 60 64% of the buyers out there in the millennial generation. But as boomers you know, move on and then eventually uh, either pass on or you know, have somebody else buy, will there be enough demand for all the housing that there currently is in 10, 15, 20 years? And so if that's if that's an issue out in your area, I don't know. We think about that long-term when we talk about growth, both here in California and a lot of the other areas that uh, the radio show touches. Right. Um, you know, if I had a crystal ball. <laughs> Come on, you can have one. I'll give you one. Hi, exactly. It'll be interesting to see what happens. So I'm, yeah. I'm keeping an eye on it, and I'm hoping to see a little bit of a balance come back to the market. So yeah, we'll I, see. I agree. Um, listen, we have about 30 seconds left. If you could let people know how they may get in touch with you, especially if they're looking for someone with your expertise down in your area. Absolutely. Uh, my name is Tracy Madden. I'm with EXP Realty, located in Menifee, 951-609-4077. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Instagram. Um, send me an email, tracymaddenhomes at gmail.com. Um, yeah, I'd love to help you out. Excellent. Thank you very much for once again coming on. Good you know, good information, especially about an area which I, I think is still a hidden gem. Appreciate you coming on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. You too. That's Tracy Madden from EXP Realty. I'm Jeff Barton, your voice in the mortgage industry. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Mortgage Voice with Jeff Barton. We'll be right back with more in just a moment. For more information on today's topic, email Jeff Barton at info at malibufunding.net. Now, back to The Mortgage Voice with your host, Jeff Barton. Welcome back, everybody. No problem. I'm Jeff Barton, your voice in the mortgage industry. Thanks very much for tuning into the show, watching each and every week on YouTube. If you go to YouTube, Jeff Barton, the mortgage voice, we have my show as well as hundreds of other shows just like that from uh, weeks and months and years gone by. The perspective of what happened a year, year and a half ago, two years ago, you can get on this show. We're trying to do it segment by segment and also uh, allow you to be able to search it. Uh, You can go to the mortgage voice. That's our website where you can do that. Uh, we're also on another a number of different podcasts. Daryl, do you have those for us? I sure do, Jeff. Uh, we are, I do, we're on YouTube, <laughs> Apple Podcast, Google Music Play, Spotify, Spreaker, Stitcher, iHeartMedia, Radio.com, YouTube, and Podclips.io. Podclips.io. It's a great place where you can not only hear me, uh, you can hear a number of different podcasters. You know, the podcasting world, it is so huge right now. Everybody... And their brother has a podcast, so trying to wend your way or find your way through it, Google search it. No, if you go to Podclips.io, they are collected there for you. And you can see people you probably haven't heard of in the health world, in nutrition, in sports, in what I do, finance. There's all kinds of different people, and you should go there. It's a great place to get your terrific information from podcasts that you may not know. Also, we are on a number of radio stations, five stations, three different states, from Tahoe down to Albuquerque. Las Vegas, and in Southern California. All these great markets are terrific for me. The reason is, is because I get to know the people in those markets as well as they get to know my show. This is more about me sharing information from the micro niches around the areas that the radio stations serve 
to other people. There's a lot more in common to people than uh, we realize, especially in the buying and selling of real estate. Prices not, might not be the same, but certainly the problems, the idiosyncrasies, the, the way housing is needed desperately in every corner of the U.S., and, uh, you know, that's one of the things we like to do. Let's get right to it. A couple new things. Um, we talked some last week about uh, the CFPB. CFPB is head by a person named Rahit Chopra. And as we talked about then, very deep into the Elizabeth Warren School of um, Regulation by Enforcement. Now, I hated that uh, when the last uh, when Obama was in. I just hated it. First of all, I hated the CFPB. As many people hate government interference in things, I do too. The CFPB, there was a huge rhubarb uh, and ruha and bruha about who was going to head the CFPB. It was going to be Richard Caudre at the time. He finally got uh, uh, kicked out because it went to the Supreme Court. They said that Trump could kick him out. He did. And then the, he brought in a couple, three different people who were trying to lessen the effect of the CFPB on the free market. Now, I'm neither a free market person nor am I uh, somebody who's that into regulation. But in terms of bringing product to uh, the general public, there is enough regulation in the Dodd-Frank Act, which actually gave birth to the CFPB, to be able to have... Um, you know, the front end of the mortgages be great, and they are great, and they have been great for over 10 years, which is why we don't have a mortgage issue, mortgage problem right now. Appraisals are good. Uh, mortgage fraud is way down. Uh, the ability to pay rule has made that um, uh, foreclosure rate really, really down prior to COVID, although it's actually gone down again. Um, it's almost at its lowest rate ever, and this is for short-term uh, foreclosures, of course. But the CFPB and this person, Rahit Chopra, remember that name, they are going to try to go out there and bust companies for what they can uh, you know, see as something that uh, is illegal or shouldn't be doing. So we're going to see a lot more headlines about that. Um, one, one thing about headlines, whether you've been anybody keeping up with what's going on on Facebook, the more you hear something, the more it affects your life. So therefore, if you hear more and more about things going on with enforcement by the CFPB, you may come to think that, oh my gosh, we're having a problem with mortgages. And as the real estate prices keep increasing, and they are keep increasing, and we see the tapering begin and uh, accelerate over the next 18 months to two years, we're going to see rates rise. And as rates rise, and you hear things like, you know, there are people getting busted in the mortgage world, you may think that we may be headed back to 2008. And that mortgage meltdown and that uh, the, the whole Great Recession, well, in my opinion, we're not. We may be into certain sectors of the economy having a rough time of it uh, as a result of too much money that the Fed has printed with the Treasury and too much stimulus. That may happen. But in terms of demand, uh, we had a guest on earlier in the show talked about demand in the housing sector, and she was right. Uh, Tracy told us that it's been 10 years easy that we've had a million to a million and a half houses less being built than were needed, which puts the number at about 10 to 15 million houses that we need now to satisfy the demand. So the demand in general is up. Now, can we sustain the type of growth in price appreciation to, you know, 15 to 20%? No. And I'll tell you, Daryl, do you know the, uh, the greatest price appreciation in America? What city that is? I no, I don't. Okay, Austin, Texas. Keep Austin weird. Keep Austin, Austin. Yeah. Keep Portland weird too. That's what my son. I was just up there a couple of weeks ago. Anyway, forty-five percent. That's what prices have increased year over year in Austin. Now I love that city. It's uh, it's not a Texas city in terms of its you know liberalness versus conservativeness, but. In terms of beauty and the friendly people and UT, yeah, it's all Texas all the time. 45% house prices went up down there. That's ah, a big number. Nationally, 20%. Some pockets a little less, but we cannot keep that particular price growth up because <laughs> nobody can afford it. And then what happens? Uh, I don't know. It's, it's not a good thing. So that being what it is, let's get right into uh, promo content. Oh, a couple of the things that the CFPB, as I said, would be getting into. And uh, there's also, who is the person? Okay. So the CFPB is going to get into what is illegal, what is not illegal, right? And so you may may or not know that uh, your local mortgage company, your local mortgage broker, uh, people in the real estate industry, 
industry, one in nine people in America work in the real estate industry in some measure. The more regulation, the tougher it is to work in that industry, less and less people, even though more and more people are needed. Right. So one of the things that the CFPB will be looking at, and one of the things that I think is absolutely, I can't, I can't say what I, I really think. Okay. So the promo content without your NMLS number. Let's say, and this is a big thing, they call it advertising. You have to put your NMLS number. Now, that's a number that's a, called a unique qualifier that when you see it on advertisement, you can go to the public website, the NMLS.com, and look up that person and see if they're licensed. And that's what, what's needed. So if it's not done, there can be big fines for that. Uh, and linking or following third-party providers. One of the things that I... <laughs> There's a, there's a law out there, RESPA, and been around for a generation, maybe more. And the RESPA law says that you cannot refer to somebody else and get a f uh, fee or a kickback from that person. So a realtor gives a client to a mortgage broker. The mortgage broker cannot, by law, give that realtor anything. Ball tickets, ball game tickets. I know, that's kind of an old thing. But one of the things that I thought was absolutely ridiculous not only can they not give them anything of value, and they, this is this is the word they use, of value, you can't say you like the realtor's website. You can't click like. That's considered a thing of value, and you can be busted for it and pay a hefty fine. I think sometimes government gets way out of line with what they think is and is not. But with this new guy in at CFPB, we're going to see a lot more of this, believe me. Okay, Jamie Dimon. Anybody know who that is? Anybody? I do. I've heard the name. Okay. He is CEO of Chase Manhattan. Uh, and one of the things that he is hawkish about is getting rid of the debt ceiling. Why does this affect us? Because every time, and we've gone through it three, four times now, we edge up closer to not extending the debt limit, we end up having to maybe have our, uh, our credit rating lowered and that affects borrowing in the u.s borrowing not only by the federal government but by you yeah if you have more difficulty borrowing money as a result of this particular debt limit not being raised guess what who do you go to so jamie dimian came out and said we should just get rid of the thing altogether the debt limit is a arc anachronism no it's a uh, arcane I can't even say the word. It's archaic is what I'm trying to say, and we should get rid of it. We have to raise it all the time, and this brinksmanship, politically driven, that really affects Main Street um, and their ability to borrow money, especially if the credit rating in the U.S. goes down, it's a big deal. If that did happen, you would have to have your 10-year note go up because you'd have to pay more in yield, and that would affect mortgage interest rates. That's how it affects you. I'm Jeff Barton, your voice in the mortgage industry. I do appreciate you listening. Please get back to me, at Jeff6493. That's my Twitter handle, and we'll see you next time. You're listening to The Mortgage Voice with Jeff Barton. For more on today's topic, visit www.malibufunding.net.